Check it out. Welcome to Top of the Class. Hear from education experts and get insights from high achievers to learn how you can do the same. Get into those top schools. Ready? Proudly presented by Crimson Education, the world's leader in university admission support. Hi, Will. Welcome to the Top of the Class podcast. It's awesome to have you on the show. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Hello, everybody. My name is Will. I'm currently a Year 11 student in Victoria. Thank you so much for having me here today. Oh, my pleasure, man. It's it's good to have you on the show. And we're here to talk primarily about your recent success in the Evett competition. Now, for those people who have never heard of Evett, it's actually an international competition. I've spoken to some students before who have had some experience in it. But for people who don't know much about Evett, give us a little bit of a summary. Okay, so um, Evett, um, although it's international, it's technically Australia's only Model UN conference at the moment. And it's basically run as a Model UN competition, uh, which kind of simulates a typical United Nations Security Council conference. So in the Evett competition, you enter in teams of two and you're placed in a chamber with 14 other teams. So it's basically 15 teams competing to get in a round. And you're basically assigned a country and then you're given like a resolution on a current world issue. And basically as a representative of the country you were given, um, your objective is basically to amend the resolution in favor of um, your country's national interests. You basically try to help the resolution to pass or fail depending on your stance on the topic. But it must be pretty intense to have these kind of debates when you're representing a country that you may not know a whole lot about. Like, which countries have you represented in your current competitions that you've been doing? Yeah, so um, this year I entered um, the Evett competition for the first time. Um, in the prelims, we were given the United Kingdom. Um, in the semifinals, we were given Kenya. And in the grand finals uh, for the state, we were given uh, Vietnam. So quite a wide plethora of countries across the world. So what are some of the, the major skill sets that you need to like dominate in this competition? Because for those students who don't know or listeners who don't know, who probably haven't read the show notes just yet, you're in the national competition which is like a fantastic achievement. It's a very hotly contested competition here in Australia. So you do have obviously the skill set to get into nationals. And the fact that it's your first year is super surprising because <laughs> I mean, like there's some students who've been doing it for years, right? And you're getting in the first year, which is awesome. So what kind of skills do you think have, have given you that edge to get into the nationals? Okay, so um, I think it's appropriate to uh, first talk a bit more about the Everett competition, like how... You, you typically want to navigate um, the competition with your teammates. So basically, um, you're competing in teams of two. Um, one of your teammates are basically required to stay in what's called a speaking chamber, which is um, in the speaking chamber, you typically have um, a lot more speaking opportunities. You're more delivering speeches. And um, the other teammate is sent to the negotiation chamber, which like literally um, referring back to the title, it, you basically negotiate with other countries to try get other countries on board with your ideas and to get like what's called co-signatures, which means other countries are typically supportive of whatever you're trying to amend in the resolution. Okay. So which one were you primarily? I was primarily in the negotiation chamber. And my teammate was in the speaking chamber. So I typically did a lot more of the negotiating and like problem solving with other countries. Okay. So that sounds to me like a almost sales type skill set where you're negotiating <laughs> with people. 
But from your side of things, like how did you come into a competition that you'd never done before and make nationals with your existing skill set? So like what did you have going in that you think helped you to get into nationals? Honestly, I think going to the Ebbet competition at first, my skill set definitely was not as strong um, compared to the other people we were competing against. But I guess there's probably two factors that come into play here. It's probably the first factor is the fact that I've been like doing quite a lot of different activities aside from Model UN that kind of unintentionally prepared me or like developed my skill sets that are needed to succeed in the other mm-hmm. competition. And on the other hand, I think a lot of it comes down to, um, I guess, networking and like basically weeding out different opportunities that helped me succeed in this competition. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get into that side of things because when we we were chatting on LinkedIn before, this was like one of the main things that we thought would be worth diving into because as someone who has you know knowledge of the Ever competition and a lot of other competitions around the world, the idea that you can get into the national level of any kind of well-regarded, highly competitive competition in your first year is pretty impressive and not very often done. So what did you do going back to this networking side of things to kind of condense or speed up your preparation so you were a little bit more informed, you really knew what you were doing a little bit more when you were actually competing in Everett? All right. So something that I did um, that I think definitely helped me succeed in this competition was I made use of um, the alumni network of my school. So the school that I go to is relatively small and relatively new. But um, something that's definitely a great quality of the school I go to is our alumni network. It's extremely strong and um, alumni are always willing to come back to the school and basically mentor or provide mentorship to current students. So we happen to have um, an alumni that previously went to the Everett Nationals round. So what I did was I basically asked one of my teachers um, if they had his contacts and I got his contacts Then I pretty much contacted him, asked him, look, I know you've made the Everett Nationals rounds before. You definitely have a a lot of knowledge that we can benefit from. Mm -hmm. So is it fine if you could run some coaching sessions with my teammate and I, just so we can be better prepared for the Everett competition? So you reached out to a random alumni who you didn't know. I mean, well, not random. They were from your school, which makes them a little bit less random. But essentially, you reached out to your alumni, said, hey, I need some coaching sessions. Did they do it pro bono? Like, did they do it for free? Uh, yeah, they did it for free, which is very surprising, but something I'm definitely grateful for. Yeah. And, and what did you get out of those coaching sessions? Like, how important or integral do you think they were to your success at the moment? Uh, incredibly, especially in the preliminary and semifinals rounds, while like my teammate and I were getting used to um, how the competition worked. So um, something he gave us was kind of this amendment toolbox. And basically amendments in Evit are kind of like changes that you want to make to the resolution. Mm -hmm. And so in this toolbox, there was just a bunch of different ideas that we could possibly draw from. And basically in impromptu debates where you only had 15 minutes to prepare like a stance and like a speech on like an impromptu resolution, Pretty much what we did was we referred to this amendment toolbox so we could quickly find amendments that we could adjust and like pretty much advocate for in the round. Cool. cool. Well, I think the lesson here, though, is 
you know, a lot of students don't fully make use of their school's network. Alumni, if they get tapped on the shoulder to help a student out, uh, most alumni see it as like a honor or a privilege to be helping out students. To be asked, you know, is is a great thing. Yeah. There's very cool. few alumni who I think will say no to that opportunity because you know, like it's uh, unless they're super busy or, or unless they don't think their skill set is uh, relevant any longer. But the vast majority will probably say yes. And as you you received as well, free coaching, I'd say most alumni would do it for free too. So I think for students out there, like, you know, if you're going into a competition, look very close to home first and really look, you know, don't just kind of have a cursory glance around your school and say, well, there's no club. Well, therefore, there's no network that I can really tap into. Sometimes it's like, yeah, as you did, go to a teacher, you know, someone who's in the nationals before this type of thing, like, can I track them down, this type of thing? So you you took a couple more steps. Uh, By the way, how did you know that that teacher knew someone? I kind of just guessed, to be honest. All I knew was that there was this student in the past that made the Everett National Rounds back when I was in year seven. So I knew like Model UN was kind of related to humanities. So I just thought, okay, I'm just going to ask all the humanities teachers. And if I'm lucky, then I guess one of them is still in contact with him. So, yeah. Yeah, and and there we go. So you've you've got some of the coaching sessions. You've made it through the, all the preliminary rounds. Do you know how many people are in those preliminary rounds? Like how many people you're competing against nationally? Uh, probably 300-ish to 500-ish in Victoria. Yeah, and then you've got like about 800 or so in New South Wales and, and then again about like 400, 500 in Queensland. So, yeah, it's a very popular competition. And then, you know, you might have the opportunity to go international. Is that what happens after nationals as well? Uh, yeah, basically, um, recently my teammate and I placed top five in Victoria. So that sends us to the national rounds. So basically the national finals, although it's termed the national finals, it's technically international because um, we usually do get um, delegates that come in from New Zealand to debate in the national finals as well. More yeah, the good old competitors from across the ditch. Absolutely. So you've got a a, a great sense of what's going on in the kind of model UN side of things now, has has that helped you to decide what you want to do kind of year 12 after school, potentially like this whole experience that you're having? So before I discovered money, I previously wanted to go into entrepreneurship and business. Um, those were mainly spheres that I, were in, I was interested in mainly because of um, the fact that you communicate a lot with others and there's a lot of negotiating. In fact, Earlier this year, I did intern with an entrepreneur and I shadowed her for a few weeks. And there I figured out I actually really don't want to go into entrepreneurship. So for the rest of year 11, I basically just explored a lot of different things. And one of them being Model UN, um, where I kind of discovered I really love negotiating with others. It's really fun to like feel like you're getting things done in Model UN. So that's how I developed an interest into international relations, politics, and mainly business, but not like entrepreneurship business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what, what happened in the entrepreneurship experience that uh, made you rule it out? So basically, um, as you know, I shadowed that entrepreneur for a few weeks. And basically, in those few weeks, I got to experience firsthand what a day in the life of an entrepreneur is like. And it involved a bunch of meetings and um involves like it involves so many meetings a day it's actually crazy and the workload 
is extremely high. Like it was not what I was expecting to see. So something that, um, something that she told me was it is very difficult to balance like family and work, which is something that kind of like that I really want to maintain when I go into a job in the future. So that's why I was like entrepreneurship probably isn't for me because like when I, when I grow up in the future, something that I definitely want to look out for is my family. So I need the time to do that. Yeah. Well, it is a tricky one. It is a tricky one. Like entrepreneurship uh, certainly becomes like pretty all consuming and it's hard to walk away, you know, when you're nine to fiver, when you're just employed somewhere else, like you can disconnect type of thing. But when you're an entrepreneur and it's your company, uh, yeah, like there's no kind of end to the day. It just yeah. continues into the, you know, especially with your phones and whatnot and emails bouncing back and forth and whatnot. Um, yeah, it can be a very taxing lifestyle for sure. But interesting you've had that experience. I would say that it's probably not worth ruling out out anything in particular it might just be that the way she was doing entrepreneurship is going to be different to the way you do entrepreneurship i mean like you know a lot of students particularly in this you know year 10 11 12 kind of 16 17 18 age range when it comes to making a decision about your future pathway it's probably good to have some direction about where you want to go but even if you have a bad experience in a particular area don't close that area off permanently. Like in your mind, don't be like, I'm never doing entrepreneurship because of that one experience that I had with entrepreneurship. You know, you could do it differently or you could find someone else who does it differently. You could just say, if I was to do entrepreneurship, I wouldn't want to do it the way she was doing it, for instance. Um, so it doesn't necessarily close off any entrepreneurship experiences to you, just that particular way of doing entrepreneurship. Anyway, back to you and your story. So you want to get into international politics and international relations, which I think is really cool. Now, another part of your experience in this field is YYGS, Yale Young Global Scholars, yep. which I know a bit about because obviously like we've had a lot of Crimson students go through YYGS as well. Uh, but can you tell me a bit about that? Because that sounds like a, a super prestigious thing to get involved in. So Yale Young Global Scholars is a globally renowned, highly academically rigorous program that runs for two weeks uh, during July each year. And basically there are four pathways in Young Global Scholars. I think there's one that's law and politics, uh, one that's solving global challenges, one that's information, science and technology, and the other one that is about literature and philosophy. So basically the track that I went down in YYGS was solving global challenges, which is basically centered around the 17 sustainable development goals um, that are set up by the UN. So pretty much during the two weeks, I, I did three different courses um, with a wide range of people. And I basically learned about a wide range of topics um, especially about quality education in Africa and the role of colonialism in changing the culture there. Another track about going viral, which was quite interesting. And the third one was about solving the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals through Empathy and Culture. So there was a lot of really interesting things that we got to talk about there. Can I ask, did you think when you applied that you would be like, a shoe-in or kind of assured to get a place on this program or was it more of like a hidden hope situation? Uh, definitely not. Um, 
I honestly didn't really expect to get into Yale Young Global Scholars um, because I talked to a few people that were alumni from there and they said it was extremely hard to get into. So I didn't really expect to get in. So I guess it kind of came down to luck. I, I don't know what I did right, but I'm guessing I must have had some pretty good personal statement essays. Well, I, I tend to think that a lot of students would rule themselves out for fear of not getting in, right? Like they would say, oh, why would I even even bother applying? I know it's really hard to get in and, you know, what chance would I have type of thing? So a lot of people don't apply. Whereas you said, well, it's very hard to get in, but I may as well try. And, you know, yeah. you, you never, you never ever know. I, I often say to students, apply for things you, you don't think you'll get into because you, you just never know. They might see something that you don't. You know, they might see in your application that they're like, hey, yeah, this is actually exactly the person that we want. And, you know, you may not have thought that prior, but there you go. You get in and, and away you go. So it must have been an awesome experience. So with the combined YYGS, I know YYGS inspired you to, to do MUN, well, Model uh, United yeah. Nations. So it, it's kind of like a, a couple of really influential experiences over the last year or two. With all of that, what advice would you give for students if they were to look into these kind of, you know, YYGS and MUN, which are pretty closely related, I think, like what advice would you give for them if they were aspiring to, to take part in either of those two things? I'll start with our EBIT competition first. So Model UN. So um, just for the listeners, um, my advice is basically just get started as soon as possible. At first, it doesn't really matter if you absolutely bomb the Model UN conference. If you do horrible, that's okay. You still learn from it. It just takes some time to get used to Model UN. Like the learning curve is definitely extremely high. But aside from that, um, it's important to like, I guess, be aware of what others are doing well and like kind of like copying what they're doing well. Because like in the preliminary rounds, I think um, a team passed this, like I think China said they were going to veto. And then this other team like reacted extremely quickly and passed an amendment that kind of changed China's stance on the resolution. And then in the semifinals, there was um, a team that was really well-spoken. Like even in the negotiation chamber, they were extremely active and like they were really good with their words. So I noticed that those two had like some strong talents and I kind of just like kept it in the back of my head that, hey, I should like, I should do the same thing. I learned from all their skills and kind of applied it in the grand final rounds. Well, it's very true that, in a competition where judges are involved mm. and it's not like, you know, in a race, for instance, that whoever crosses the line first wins, right? Yep. When judges are involved, if you think a team is doing really well, chances are the judges think the same thing, right? If you're a competitor and if you're in the, you know, able to see everybody, able to hear everybody and you're like, wow, that team is a standout right now. And then like the judges are like, yeah, that team's a standout right now. <laughs> then you're like, okay, you're, you're absolutely right. Like sometimes it's not, you know, necessarily copying exactly what they do, but it's like, what is the essence of making them stand out? Like what is about them that is so interesting that it makes them, you know, uh, head and shoulders above everybody else who's here right now. And as you said, you know, are they really well-spoken? Are they like super quick to make amendments? These types of things, you know, kind of takes them to that, next level of, of competition, whether it be like the, the finals and the nationals, whatever it might be. So, yeah, I think that's super, super relevant. Sometimes like a good tip for students who are entering these competitions is not just to be kind of focused on yourself, 
but to look around you and be like, hey, who else is doing this really well? Can I learn from them at the same time? Yeah, for sure. And like, I think one more thing, don't focus too much on just one type of competition. Compete in a wide range of activities just so like, like you may not be good at most of them, but like you never know when you'll find something that you're coincidentally like pretty good at. Like I competed in a bunch of like science Olympiads. I got into informatics, learned like two coding languages. And I also competed in a writing competition, a business case competition. I didn't make it past the first round in any of those, but Model UN just happened to be the one thing that clicked on me. So, yeah. But you definitely can learn things about competing in general, right? Like what judges look for, what is the rubric of a competition? You know, you will learn things from other competitors who do end up winning these competitions as well. Like, as you said, you know, you can copy some people in MUN, but you can definitely look at other competitions like Olympiad or whatever and be like, what are they doing really well? And could what they do be applied to other competitions too? I completely agree that like, especially if you're in, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, this kind of early high school range that, you know, middle school for our American listeners, um, that you can definitely get involved in as many different competitions as you can or as you want to. And you'll be able to find a little bit of information, a little bit of useful kind of tidbit of information along each competition that will eventually help you get your way into nationals on your first try, as you have done, which is which is awesome. A little bit of luck came into play because, um, like, you know, like 300 to 500 competitors were in the prelims. And um, to make the semis, you have to be top 60 in the state. We placed 61st, so we were in the reserve team for the semifinals. And by chance, a team pulled out of the semifinals, and that gave us an opportunity to compete in the semifinals. And then to make the grand finals from that, you had to be top 15 out of the 60 teams. We placed 16th. So that means we were in the reserve team for a second time. And we were quite convinced that we would not be competing in the grand finals because it's the grand finals. It's a great opportunity to make nationals. Why would you give up on it? So basically for the rest of the holidays or like the rest of the year, I I just thought, okay, well, there's no chance we're making the grand finals. But it just happened so that on the afternoon, the day before the grand finals rounds, I got a call from my friend, my teammate. And then he tells me a team pulled out last minute, dude, we're competing in the grand finals. And that was extremely stressful that like I, I've never gotten less sleep, but we ended up placing top five in the state um, in the grand finals round. And that basically landed us into nationals. So I typically don't tell my friends that. I usually just tell them we made nationals. We don't tell them we made reserve team twice in a row. <laughs> yeah. But hey, like when we're talking about luck, right? I think in part because you guys, you were so willing to be part of the reserve team the first time around when you were making semis, when you were making the grand finals, the the organizers probably were like, hey, funny this, but it's the same team who were reserves last time as well. They were up for joining at short notice last time. Maybe they're up for joining at short notice this time too, right? Because when they heard like a team couldn't join, the day before, they were probably like, oh, look, you know, most people wouldn't be ready to join at this time. It will look disorganized if we call them super late. Let's just leave it at 14 teams and whatnot. But then they're like, hang on a sec. It's the same team who were reserves last time and said yes. Maybe they'll say yes this time too. They get on the call and there you go. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I was incredibly stressed, but then at the same time, I was like, I can't pass up on this opportunity. Like no matter how bad we do, no matter how great we do, no matter how many amendments we pass, we're still going to do this. Like, like win, win or loss, it doesn't matter. Like we'll just do our best. Like, and we'll think about it like after the round is over. That's a great attitude to have for sure. If we're talking about YYGS, definitely ensure that you have a wide range of activities that you're engaged in when you apply to YYGS. Um, Personally, I don't think I had the strongest extracurricular activities that I listed down when I was applying to YYGS. I listed down doing hockey. And um, I think um, especially when COVID hit um, Victoria, I ran this like tutoring program. I think that's probably what impressed them most, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. I ran this tutoring program. And then I think my third activity was something like piano. So, I mean, they technically aren't like as strong as what the other applicants have listed down. But um, I think my advice would just be just do a wide range of activities, try identify your strengths, build on those strengths. And then when you apply to these summer programs, um, submit a wide array of activities just so they know that you've got intellectual vitality, which is something like that Stanford places an emphasis on, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's uh, some good advice there, particularly the intellectual vitality piece. It's something that uh, I am fairly familiar with having spoken about that in a couple of Crimson presentations for sure. You know, if you're aiming to get into a great competition, just because it's your first year, there's nothing to stop you getting into nationals if you're smart about how you prepare, which is exactly what you did. And for YYGS, there's nothing to stop you from applying, even if everybody else tells you that it's really hard to get in. I think something that's really important to know is like, I think back in year eight, uh, one of my mentors told me like this saying, it's very plain, but you can apply it to like pretty much every single opportunity that you see in life. So basically the quote was, life is extremely unfair. If you ask for something, you may not get it. If you don't ask for something, you won't get it. So I think that's incredibly true because like going back to like finding opportunities, going for competitions, applying to summer schools, there's no certainty that you'll get in or you won't get in. And in many cases, it's highly unlikely that you will succeed, but you can't let that dissuade you from pursuing these opportunities because you never know what happens. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's very, very true. Now, if students want to get in touch with you, uh, I know you're on LinkedIn. Is that the best way for students to connect? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm happy to connect with any listeners, um, especially if they need to talk to me more or if they want any advice, I'm happy to give. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll put your LinkedIn there in the show notes. But Will, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Thank you so much for your insights into all things Evert and YYGS and your pathway to both of those awesome things. And yeah, look forward to seeing what you do in the future. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Top of the Class. Subscribe for future episodes. For show notes and to plan your best future, head to crimsoneducation.org.